in Colorado, we're probably fairly familiar with the Continental Divide. Um, Ed, Ed, can you turn me down just a little bit? It feels really loud up here. I don't know how it feels out there, but... Um, so uh, we're pretty familiar with the, the Continental Divide. It uh, runs um, down from Canada through the states, and also there's a, it was also South America as well. But it's that separation of that watershed that will, at least for us, will drain either into the Pacific or to the Atlantic Ocean. And there's that divide, and it separates the destination of the waters. And it's said that if you were to, to build a house on that Continental Divide, Depending on how you situated your roof, you would determine the outcome of those drips of water, either going out to the Pacific or to the Atlantic, and uh, there's that that division there, um, a big divide. And today, in in the passage that we'll look at today, Jesus speaks in terms of a great great divide, um, indeed, in this passage. And he speaks about that of light and darkness. He speaks about those who love the light and those who, who hate it, hate the light, and love darkness. He speaks about those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. He speaks about those who are in a state of being in judgment or condemnation, and those who are, are saved, those who perish, and those who have hope of eternal life. And we see this stark contrast of, of two destinations. And in it, we're going to see this call, I believe a call, to the light of Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to entrust ourselves to Jesus and be reminded that he is the true and only true light that shines in the world and the darkness does not overcome it. And we see this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus and this further conversation between Jesus continues here in verse 16. But before that, just be reminded, what's going on here? Be reminded that Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he comes to Jesus at night, and he's inquiring of Jesus. He's seen some miracles, seen some teaching, and he knows some things about Jesus, but there's more to learn. And he comes to Jesus and says to him in John 3, verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know, know you that you're a teacher. You've come from God, and no one can do these signs. No one can do these amazing miracles unless God is with him. So he says these two things. I've seen these two things. God's with you, and that... You are a teacher from God. But then Jesus, he cuts to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus and says, you must be born again. Uh, If you want to see some things, you must be born again. You need new spiritual life. If you want to see the kingdom of God, there needs to be a change from inside out, a new spiritual birth, new life in you. And he cuts to the quick. And then Nicodemus, he's like, remember, born again? Um, I'm old, um, enter into my mother's womb, uh, don't know what you're talking about. There's confusion of Nicodemus. How can this happen? And Jesus continues and says, you must be born again. He says it three different ways and, and he emphasizes that there needs to be a new spiritual birth if he was going to enter the kingdom of God, if he was going to have eternal life. He needed a new birth, and that new birth is through the working of the Holy Spirit, awakening and giving us new life, eternal Life And the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, we can't control it. We can't control the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't control Him. That's how He works and acts and moves. And His work is a mystery even in some sense to us. But we need that awakening uh, to the need for new life. So He speaks, Jesus speaks with Nicodemus. And again, a Nicodemus is kind of like, 
how can this be? And then Jesus, he's a little bit confrontational, if you remember, with Nicodemus. And he says, well, if you, you're, you're an Old Testament scholar. You should know these things. You should know that there, you need new life, a new heart. And even though he confronts Nicodemus, I think one thing we should note is that Jesus still graciously does not leave Nicodemus in the dark. He continues to speak truth to Nicodemus that he needs to be born again that he needs new spiritual life and how this can be. And he speaks um, about his life. And he says in John three fourteen through 15, Jesus says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus continues. He speaks truth to Nicodemus. He doesn't leave him in the dark, but says, remember that story in the Old Testament where after the, the Israelites were, they were freed from Egypt as in their, from their slavery in Egypt and they're in the desert and they're, they're tired of being in the desert. They want more than manna. And they're like, right, we want more. We don't have anything to drink. This manna, it's worthless food. We've got to have something better. And they're like, we should just be in Egypt. I wish we never left really. And they'd rather go back to Egypt and the gods of Egypt, so they rebel against God. And this is the scene, and Jesus then sends a plague upon them. He'd send a plague upon the people of Egypt. Now he sends it upon his people who are in rebellion to him. And he sends these fiery serpents, it says. Fiery serpents are poisonous serpents that came and flooded into camp. Can you imagine that? It's like Indiana Jones times 100. (laughs) Snakes come in, and, and people are bitten, and they die. And there's a change of heart, and they're repentant, and they go to God and go to Moses, and there's repentant hearts, and God, God, or Moses goes before God, before Yahweh, and Yahweh provides healing and rescue and salvation. And he says, Moses, uh, take, make a, a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, raise it up, and all those who look upon that serpent will be healed. So there's this act of faith that there's nothing that they can do. There's poison in their body. And the only hope is to look outside of themselves to the provision that God has provided. And if they do that, they look upon this serpent with faith, they would be healed. And Jesus says in the same way, there's a poison in you. There's sin in you. There needs to be rescue. And the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be lifted up. And we know that he is lifted up, that he would die on the cross for our sins. And those who believe, those who look upon Christ, there's nothing in ourself that can heal that sickness, that sin, that poison but Christ. So he begins to speak about that to Nicodemus, that those who believe will have eternal life. And the question might then come up as we get into the passage today, how is it possible that those who believe in the Son of Man and Jesus will have eternal life, will be born again, will enter the kingdom? And we see the answer in verse 16. For the love of God, for God so loved the world. That's how this can happen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's our first point. We see the love of the Father. For God so loved the world. So the love of God breaks into the world through the gift of Jesus Christ. And the world here is speaking about, it's not speaking about God so loved all of creation. Yes, he did. But specifically he's saying that he loved all of mankind, all men and women, all those created in his image, all people of all races, of all tongues, of all nations, of all backgrounds. Jesus loved the world, not just Israel, he says. He says, 
God to love the world. You can also say not just America either. God so loved the world, people from all nations, uh, even those from nations we're not exactly happy with right now, <laughs> Russia or China or whoever it might be, or people um, on the other side of the aisle from you, whatever it might be. But for God so loved the world. He loved the world. And he loved the world not because it was just so incredibly lovable, <laughs> but it was in rebellion um, to him in sin. So God so loved the world, even in all of its rebellion and sin. As it says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in rebellion, he died for us. D.A. Carson, one of the great um, theologians of our day, he writes this. He says, here's God's love. Here, God's love is not restricted by race. Even so, God's love is to be admired. It's to be admired not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but his love is to be admired because the world is so bad. And really, he says, that's a customary connotation of cosmos. That's a Greek word for world here. More often than not, we'll see in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, it often refers to the negative aspects, the fallenness, the evil and the wickedness in the world when it speaks of the world. You think of later in 1 John, in the letter of John, 1 John, he writes, and this is again back to D.A. Carson, he says, the world is so wicked that John elsewhere forbids Christians to love it or anything in it. And then he concludes, he says, God loves the world with the selfless, costless love of redemption. That's the love of Christ. He came to redeem Um, a fallen world. So God's great love extended to a world and a people that were hostile to him. And yet his son still entered in and suffered for the redemption of that hostile world. So God's love is so great. And it says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say, for God so coerced or punished the world so that it might come to him, but for God so loved the world. Despite the rebellion and the evil in the world, in mankind, God nonetheless loved the world. God so loves the world. This word love, too, it's that word that we often, sometimes we say agape love. In the Greek, it's like agapeo. So this word of love, this is not the only time we're going to see love in John. So be on the lookout for it. We'll actually see it 36 different times in the Gospel of John. And in the letter of John, in 1 John alone, he uses it 31 times. And both of those uses are twice as many than in any other of the New Testament books. So we can confidently say that love is a significant theme of John as he writes. So we need to be on the lookout. And good thing we're going to learn a little bit about love and the love of God and the love that we are to have as we walk through the Gospel And one thing we do see about God's love, even here in this passage, is that God's love precedes any love or response from anyone. He loved first. And we see that later in the letter of John, in 1 John, John writes and he gives kind of commentary on these words. This is from 1 John 4, 7 through 10. This is, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love 
does not know God because God is love. In this, this is kind of like John 3.16 in a different wording, in different ways. In this, this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved, but that God, not that we have loved God, but that God, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So we see that our God is the God who first loved so that we might love. But then there's a call that we are to call to love. We are to be those who love one another because he loved us. So there's a call to that. As we see the love of God, it should um, result in us wanting to love one another and also love our neighbors, um, love all those around us with the love of Christ. Or to call to love our workers, those we, we like and we don't like, those we wish we didn't work with and those we love working with. Or call to love our crazy uncles and our beloved aunts and um, our social media foes or whoever it might be. Or to love as um, our God has loved us. God loved this rebellious world too so much that he gave. That he gave his one and only son. He gave his son for us. Freely gave. Think of Romans 8.32. It says, he, did not spare, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he not also with him freely, graciously give us all things. So remind, that's the love of God who freely and graciously gave up his son for us. And we can know uh, that his grace and goodness is poured out upon us in full. And then as we looked at already, Romans 5, 8, God showed his love for us that even when we were in rebellion and sin, he he died. Christ died for us. So this is the most loving act, the love of the Father. But it's also a loving act of Christ the Son as well. Pretty soon as we enter into Advent, we, we talk a lot about the love of Christ, the Advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ. came across a, a quote from a, an Advent book that we gave out um, several years back from um, Paul Tripp called Come Let Us Adore Him. And this is what Paul's Paul says, Paul Tripp says, we should be celebrating the willingness, the willingness of the one who was God Almighty to leave the splendor of glory, to take on the normal limits and frailty of the human body and endure the daily realities of what it means to live in a terribly broken world. It's the definition of love. It's the love of Christ. We're reminded of both the love of the Father, but also the love of Christ. And then, as we continue in verse 1, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Those who trust and believe, they won't perish. He's speaking about our spiritual death, that we won't experience eternal separation from the love of God and from God that we won't perish, that we will have eternal life in him, eternal new life, new life that begins now when we trust in Jesus, that new life begins and goes on for all eternity with King Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth, a new heaven and a new earth that will be void of sin, 
void of suffering, void of pain, void of emergency surgeries, void of cancer, void of car crashes, void of divorce, void of political elections. Amen. <laughs> There's great hope. There's great hope found in Jesus. Great hope. We can trust and uh, trust ourselves to Jesus to be the one and the only source that we find healing of our sin and our guilt. Uh, we need Jesus. We need the healing and love of our God. In verses 17 through 18, we do see the salvation of the Son. So we've seen the love of the Father, now the salvation through the Son. Let me read verse 17 first. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God the Father, again, he did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. He sent him for salvation. So Jesus, his first advent, his first coming into the world, his first arrival, his mission was salvation, uh, not condemnation. Later, Jesus is going to say in John 12, 47, he says it this way. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Or Jesus in Luke 19, 10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We see the first mission of Jesus, he came, was to rescue. And even here, as Jesus speaks with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, he's, he's in the dark, but Jesus continues to speak words of life to him so that he might be moved from a state of, of judgment, a state of condemnation apart from God and moved into eternal life and forgiveness in Jesus. And then verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we see that there is a reality of condemnation as well and judgment here, that the world that stands in a state of judgment apart from Christ. And all we see throughout Scripture, like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, or the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, or as we studied in Ephesians, that we're all dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2.1, so there's a reality too. Standing in a state apart from Jesus is a state of being apart from him and being condemned. But it says then again, but whoever believes, whoever entrusts himself is not condemned, is forgiven, is healed, is adopted in and made citizens of the kingdom of God already. But those who reject Jesus, they do stand in a state of condemnation, a state of judgment. Judgment is kind of the, the flip side of the coin of salvation. It's a great divide. There's an ever-present reality that um, we live in a world that stands in a state of sin under judgment, even under the curse of the fall. We experience that day in and day out, the brokenness that we feel. And I think that's why later Jesus uh, will speak about judgment. For example, in John 5:22, For the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. But then later Jesus goes on in that chapter in verse 24 and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. So Jesus indeed has the authority to judge and as he stands in the presence of a sinful world. But judgment was not the, the chief mission of Jesus in his first advent, his first arrival, his first birth and coming. He didn't come to judge, but to bring salvation. And we see that God the Father, his motivation to send the Son was for love, for his love and for salvation of those who are lost. So here we have great hope again. We're reminded of the hope of Jesus. Whoever believes, whoever entrusts themselves to Jesus is not condemned, but is rescued. There's hope and rescue and salvation found in Jesus and also, too, as we look at this, we see this, that there's, two, there's also no plan B for this rescue plan of Jesus. God doesn't offer a plan B. There's not a salvation apart um, from Jesus. We can't just do enough good stuff um, to outdo the bad stuff in our life. That doesn't work. We can't have just a sincere faith in, in one religion or another. Um, we can't follow after a different God or a different version of Jesus other than what's in the Bible. We can't find salvation in a sincere uh, faith and, and diff- another faith or an ideology. Jesus is not one alternative among many. Uh, Jesus did not give his life and die a horrific death and take upon himself the wrath of God as one alternative among Many possibilities of salvation and forgiveness and healings. No, he is the one and only way to find hope and rescue and eternal life. Acts 4, 12, Peter says it this way, after the resurrection of Jesus. He says, and there is no, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It makes it clear as clear could be, there, there's no salvation in anyone else, only in Christ. Or as Jesus said in John 14, 6, that we're going to study later, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, that's pretty clear. Jesus is saying, I'm the only way. And then, kind of one of our theme verses, John 6, 68 and 69, where Peter says, Lord, to whom, whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's saying, only you. There's no one like Jesus. No one saves like Jesus. No one speaks like Jesus. No one healed like Jesus. No one loved like Jesus and continues to love and see and serve and heal today and forgive. So we see the salvation of the Son. And then finally, verses 19 through 21, we see this the light of the Son. And in this passage, we begin to see even... Uh, more clearly, that, that great divide. And people loved the darkness, rather... Oh, I skipped down. <laughs> and this is the judgment, begins. And this is the judgment. Or another way, of, another translation says, now this is the basis for the judgment, or this is how judgment works here. How does it work? And it says, the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness, rather than the light, because their works were evil. So this is the light has come into the world as we've seen already in the first chapter of John and that prologue, remember it said that prologue it's going to have themes that we're going to continue to see throughout John where it said the light and this is John 1 verse 5 the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus came, the light of the world. And yet people what did they do? They they love the darkness. 
They chose, to, chose darkness. They chose a love for the darkness over a love for truth and light and, and the gospel. They love the fallen passions, the pleasures of this world. Uh, they've chosen darkness um, over light. They've chosen uh, those things that are, they talk about those candy-coated poisons, <laughs> a chocolate-covered death that we would rather have, and we reject Jesus. Love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. They know that their hearts are evil and they don't want to be in the light. As it continues, Jesus continues and says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. So it says, why, why would they rather be in the darkness? It says they don't, they don't just love the darkness, they hate the light. They hate it. I know hate might be a bad word in your home, but <laughs> they hate the light. I was thinking about that. Um, maybe you're familiar with uh, the Lord of the Rings. Maybe the books or the, the movies by that uh, for the books from J.R.R. R. Tolkien, Tolkien. And uh, maybe you've been watching. We've started to watch the ones on Amazon, the, the Rings of Power that are kind of the backstory to the Lord of the Rings. And if you've seen any of those you're, or read the books, you're familiar with the orcs. And the orcs are kind of these, these broken um, creatures. I guess they were, I learned it from the, the the rings of power that they were once elves and now they're kind of like these distorted creatures. And the orcs are pretty creepy, ugly, nasty, yucky, slimy, boogery things. But in um, the books and in the, the movies and shows, you see they hate the light. Huh. If anyone hates the light, the orcs hate the light. Whenever uh, they're in a place where the sun con- comes and hits them. They're like, ah! they run away and they flee because um, they hate it. They don't want to be in the light. And it may be um, that there is a picture of that even as uh, Tolkien wrote, uh, thinking of these things as well. They avoid the light because it, they, they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be confronted with the light. We don't, sometimes in our sin, we don't. We don't want to be confronted with the light of the gospel. We won't, don't want our hearts to be convicted and changed. Sometimes we just rather be in our darkness, in our sin. This week I was reminded of a time, it was years ago, I was at a friend's house, and um, I was, I don't know, I was probably early 20s, and was with them, and they were babysitting some other people's kids, and uh, there was one little one, I think he was about three years old at the time, and he had gotten a candy, they had a dish of candy, and he'd gotten a piece of that candy, and he went into the dining room, and um, he crouched down behind the dining room chair, and a dining room chair is not, it's not a great hiding place, the legs of a dining room chair are pretty, you can see, just think of a three-year-old crouching, eating that candy, and trying to hide, um, and he didn't want to be exposed, but really, um, he wasn't hidden at all, that didn't rescue him for anything, uh, but he was just there um, hiding. Sometimes we're a little bit that way in our sin. We, we think, uh, well, maybe if I just kind of hide a little bit, that'll be enough and I can get through this. Jesus says later in this chapter, in verse 36, he says, whoever believes the Son, believes in the Son, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see the great divide. There's a lot at stake. 
There's a lot at stake. We can die apart from God, holding on to our pride, our sin, our ideology, our self-seeking righteousness, whatever it might be, like that little kid behind that, that chair. But even worse, we can be that way. Verse 21, though, continues, but whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It says that those who entrust themselves to Jesus, entrust themselves to the light of the world, their works are no longer evil, but they're true, and they can freely come into the light. They don't have to hide any longer. They can come and not sit under the chair at the dining room table, but sit, enjoy the feast. They can... Experience the light of Jesus. What a good, gracious, and wonderful place to be in the light of Jesus Christ. Why would we choose anything else? But sometimes we do that. We try to make heaven here on earth. And man, we make horrible heavens, just so you know. And we try. We talked about when we walk through the Psalms, we talk about refuge and how only God is our true refuge. But we try to make our own refuges and they're paper mache refuges that are easily crumbled, or the refuges that end up being our death, um, our bones. But true, the true eternal life of Jesus offers to us salvation and hope and truth and light. He reigns, uh, and we are called in. And here it says too that they want their life, they want their works to be seen. No need to hide them anymore. No need to. Um, quickly turn off the TV or, or change to a different web page. No uh, desire for our, our works to be seen. Not because it's all about us, but because they point people to God. The Christian Standard Bible it translates it this way, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So we run to the light. We run not so that we can stand up on stage and say, look at me. But that we can stand up on stage and say, look at our God. Look at Jesus. Look at the risen one. Um, May our our love point people to Jesus. So Jesus, he records uh, these truths uh, to speak about the hope that is in Jesus, not to leave us helplessly stuck in darkness apart from him, but that we might come into the light and know the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus, the healing that's offered in Jesus, the new life that's offered in Jesus, the eternal life in him that we can experience in Jesus. And he speaks these words so that there might be life. And I speak to them and think about these as well. As we speak about the great divide, it's not with a heart of saying, hey, you're condemned, but saying, hey, there is hope. If you are stand apart from Jesus in condemnation, there's hope found in Jesus alone. And we call you and encourage you to trust and believe. Dr. Cook, my pastor back in Kentucky, he writes this about this passage. He says, John wants his readers to understand that what was going on between Nicodemus and Jesus was not was more significant than just an intellectual battle between two rabbis. Nicodemus is caught up in a cosmic conflict between truth and air, light and darkness, eternal life and judgment. 
these concluding verses then, they remind us that our world is a bloody battlefield in the war of all wars between God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness, between God's truth and Satan's lies. The stakes are people's eternal destiny. God's truth, however, is a powerful weapon that illuminates the darkness and confronts people with the gospel of saving grace. This is the truth of the gospel. So this morning, again, it is, there's a great dividing line here, a great divide. What will we do with the light of Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes will have eternal life, will be forgiven, will be saved, will be brought into the light of Jesus. So this morning, there's even a call. Uh, maybe you recognize that you're, you stand on one side, and it's apart from Jesus. And there may be a call this morning to turn and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and stop pushing against him and come into the light and find the forgiveness and hope that's found in him alone. But also this morning, if you know that you have eternal life in Jesus, may we rejoice as well. What a great passage to be remember, to read and be reminded that there's hope, that Jesus is risen, that he is king. You know, sometimes we can go through a week and we're like, oh, all is lost. All is lost. No, all is not lost. Jesus is risen. And he shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Um, sometimes we can, yeah, come through a week and be like, oh, the darkness is overcome. No, Jesus shines. And we enter in a time of Advent as well, this Christmas season. We're reminded uh, that Jesus came He came with a mission to save. And may we be a people uh, that share the goodness of the gospel and be reminded that it's spiritual warfare whenever we share the gospel. We're casting light into darkness in a world that hates it. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see a culture that hates the gospel and hates the truth of Jesus. And it may be, though, that as our culture maybe becomes darker in a lot of different ways, we might be able to, hopefully, we are able to shine even brighter the truth of the gospel for those who need it. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is risen. We thank you that the light of Jesus Christ cannot be overcome by darkness. Lord, help us to cling and be reminded of those truths. Lord, help us to be reminded that Jesus is king and his kingdom is eternal. And help us to be reminded of the free invitation that we find in Jesus Christ to repent and believe and find new life in him. And Lord, may we rejoice in that. May we be those people who speak about that, that we are not a people defeated because our hope is in Jesus who's risen. Lord, I pray this morning, too, if there are those who are wrestling even with trusting and resting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and turning from sin and turning from, from just passions of the world, that you would um, just awaken their heart and give them faith to believe, even this morning, to trust and be forgiven and find new life in Jesus. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.